Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you uh, for each of us who made it here. Lord, I do pray for any gentleman who is still traveling, because I know last week we had one of our guys get in an accident, and Lord, I just, I just know it's, it's hard, it's difficult, it's challenging, but I thank you for this opportunity. I, I pray that our eyes and our hearts and our minds would be open to what you have to say to us today. Lord, all these things are praying in Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, so gentlemen, last week we started the series before the series because we're going to begin next week studying 1 Corinthians, all right? Uh, Chris Morgan mentioned that he'll we'll have the books next week. Some of you are excited to get those booklets that you can follow through. It has the note page for everything. It's, it's got background information. They're really, really helpful. Let you know exactly what we're going to be studying the next week. Those will be available next week. But this week, well, last week, and this week, we're doing a little background on 1 Corinthians. I've never, never done this in my 30 years of teaching uh, here, that we've had time to actually do two weeks of introduction to a, to a passage, to a, to a book of the Bible. So last week, if you were here, or if you weren't, we went through, we went through, we talked about the Apostle Paul, because every letter has a person who wrote the letter, a person who received the letter, and a purpose. So last week, we talked about the person who wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, again, uh, a gentleman who, by his own definition, wasn't the most attractive, and, uh, and also he got beat up a bunch of times throughout his life, and so uh, it, it kind of uh, wore on him a bit. Uh, but, but he wrote the letter, and, uh, and, and, and we talked about him last week, how he was uh, raised by, by Jewish parents, good Jewish parents, but not in, in Israel, but in, in Tarshish, which is up in what is now Turkey, and uh, he, was, he was trained to be a Jewish leader, to, and he became a Pharisee. He was, he was uh, well, well educated. Um, he was, and he, his first real job as a Pharisee was to persecute the early church. We talked about how, how he and Christ were kind of uh, uh, living parallel lives, but, but in opposite directions. Uh, he ended up persecuting the church, the early church. Uh, but then on his way to Damascus, which is... Uh, uh, a, 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 a town in, in Syria outside of, of, of Israel. He was pursuing uh, uh, Christians there, and he was blinded. And the famous uh, story of him being blinded by this very bright light, and then Jesus himself spoke to him and said, why are you persecuting me? And, uh, and he had this uh, incredible conversion. Well, he was blinded, then led into town, uh, sat there for three days, still being blind, and then, then, uh, then one of the people he came to persecute actually came to him and prayed for him and laid hands on him. He was healed, and, uh, and immediately he started preaching the good news. Uh, he, but he went through a lot of different uh, times, and for 30 years he had this ministry uh, filled with thousands of miles of travel, a multitude of arrests, beatings, and disasters, and miracles, and victories, and he wrote half the New Testament. Uh, and an incredible, incredible story. Um, and this book of 1 Corinthians lands kind of right in the, in the middle of those 30 years. Um, so last week we ended, we ended by kind of brainstorming at the end. I asked the question, well, how in the world uh, would somebody accomplish this 30 years of ministry? And, and you all shared that, you know, that, that the Apostle Paul had a sense of vision, uh, that he was, he was persistent. Uh, we all, you also said that, that he had a... He, he, had a, he, had, he had a posse, he, he, had, he was really powerful in bringing people along with him, and, and it's funny, we, we kind of ran out of time, and, and, and two of the things that you all didn't mention is that, that, he, that he had, we see that he prayed and, and he received guidance from God along the way, uh, and, and I would also say that he had, he had the Holy Spirit dwelling within him, 
Uh, and, and Apostle Paul would say that he had the Holy Spirit. And, and, the, and I kind of ended the lesson by saying, you know what's amazing to me about all these things that the Apostle Paul had that managed him, allowed him to have this incredible life, every one of them is available to every one of us as well. That he, he did not have, uh, you know, certain things that, that aren't available to any of us. And so it's just that idea that, that, that you know, for all of us, there's this opportunity to, to live the kind of life, it's not going to be just like his for sure, but we have the kind of life that, that he lived as well. And I, that to me is just kind of, kind of amazing when you think about that the Apostle Paul wrote the half the New Testament, you have the same resources that he has. So anyway, so that's kind of how we ended last week, but this week we're going to talk about this, not, not, not who wrote the letter, the Apostle Paul, but, but who received the letter, who, who, who are, who, what is the church at Corinth, who are the Corinthians? And how did their world impact this letter and the purpose of the letter? Because as one commentator says, maybe no letter in the New Testament was most impacted by the context of the letter. So here we go. Uh, so first off, let, let's just talk about, you know, Corinth. And, and I was trying to think of how best to do this uh, to make it make any sense at all. So we'll, we'll, we'll just start off by saying, let, let's look at the history of Corinth. So we have a, the map number one. Map number one is kind of, again, is this the Mediterranean world? You know, down here is Jerusalem. This is, you know, Israel down here. This is Jerusalem. And, and you have the ancient city of Alexandria, which is in Egypt. It's a great city. Antioch, which is where Paul kind of first started working from, is where his missionary journeys came from. It was a, a great city. It had to do with a lot of trade back here out to the east. Uh, Ephesus was a major city as well, and Paul would spend a lot of time there. Uh, we have Athens, which is, of course, kind of the famous in the, in the area of Greece, a great city of learning and, and knowledge and the arts. And of course, you have Rome here in Italy, and Rome uh, was, you know, kind of controlled the whole known world and stuff. We have Syracuse, Jim Beheim was still coaching at that time there, uh, uh, still looking to win. But anyway, and then you have Corinth, and Corinth was a well, it was a large city, uh, you know, probably close to 100,000 people at the time. But what's interesting about Corinth, Corinth was not far from Athens. And Sparta, if it was on here, it's kind of over here as well. These major Greek city-states, uh, you know, in the you know, four or 500 years before Christ, they, they were uh, booming and stuff. But Corinth, uh, in the year 146, kind of got on the wrong side of Rome. And that was the wrong time to get on the wrong side of Rome because Rome uh, defeated Corinth uh, in the year 146. And, uh, and in classic Roman style, they, they, they went into the city and they killed all the men. They sold the women and children into slavery, and then they just leveled the city. And for a hundred years, this, the, the location of Corinth lay desolate. You know, they were, they're just, I mean, I'm sure their people lived there, you know, kind of randomly, but the city was gone, just leveled. And, uh, and it sat there for a for hundred years, leveled. Uh, then in the year 44 B.C., so again, you know, uh, 40, 40 years before Christ, you might say, keep it simple, uh, uh, a, the Romans, Julius Caesar, decided to rebuild Corinth. And you will see later why, because it was, it was a perfect location. And so he, he rebuilt Corinth, and it's, so it's right there in, in the middle of Greece, but they rebuilt it as a, as a Roman city. And so they, they, they totally, again, they... they they had leveled everything. They, they kind of started from scratch. They laid it out like a Roman city. They used Roman architecture. Uh, they, uh, uh, now, as, as you go, even though it sits in Greece, the, as, you, as the archaeologists find stuff from that time, all, everything's written in Latin, or most things are written in Latin, because they, they, they just 
created a Roman city right in the middle of Greece. And so they, they built it up. It, it became the, the Roman government center in that area of Greece, and, uh, and, 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 it, and it grew. And so when the Apostle Paul comes along uh, in the year 50 A.D., literally less than 100 years after it was rebuilt, it's a new city in a sense, and it comes along and, uh, and, and it was thriving, and it thrived, well, it's still there today. I mean, if you, you can go to Corinth today. So, so history-wise, has an interesting history, but at the time when Apostle Paul gets there, it's, it's a, even though it's in Greece, it is very much a Roman city, much more Roman than like Athens uh, nearby, because, because the Romans had kind of rebuilt it on their own. So, uh, so that, that's, that's kind of the, the history of Corinth, for the most part. Geography plays a huge part in, the, in, the, in this idea of Corinth. And so again, you see where it's at. It's in here in Greece. Over here's you know, Rome, and here's what they call Asia, but it's, it, now we would call it Turkey. Uh, down here is Israel and Egypt. So, so you got a general feel. It's in the Mediterranean. But let's go. The next map will take us a little bit closer. So here, here's just the, this, this Greece. And, and what's interesting about Greece, it's got a, the major part of Greece and, and down here is Athens. So, and then there's this narrow little piece of land, what, we, what a, ge- a geographer would call an isthmus, that connects the main part to this lower part called the Peloponnese or something like that. I'm way out of, way over my head with this. And, and Corinth is located right here on this little isthmus. Let's go to the next map, which makes it even closer. And it's, it's this, this narrow little piece of land. Up here is the, the mainland. Down here is the, the Peloponnese. Well, yeah, just the P area. All right, so, uh, uh, and then th- th- this, this, this isthmus in places is only like four miles apart. I mean, think about this, this whole nation, and it gets constricted down to one little place that's four miles across. Corinth is located right here. Corinth actually had two seaports, one here to the, to the west called, called Lachium, and this, and this is here on the, on the this, this area eventually gets out to the uh, Ionian Sea and the Adriatic, and then then Syncre here on the eastern side, which would get out to the Aegean Sea as you go out. And so it actually had two seaports, one on the west and one on the east. In this narrowest part, they would transport, like you could come in in a ship here, unload everything, bring it over here, put on another ship, and it would go on. And and it's on this, they had essentially almost a railroad, a, a, a because, again, it didn't uh, raise a great deal uh, um, altitude-wise. And they would even sometimes bring the whole ship on, on, this, on this road over to the other side or either way uh, uh, to, to, to save time. And particularly in the military, they would use it to, to quickly get to the other side. Uh, let's, let's go back to the other map for just a second. And see, because right here is where Corinth is, because... Like over here is Rome and stuff. If you come down through the uh, Adriatic Sea, you'd slip in here and go across here and not have to go around the southern part of Greece, which, which had a lot worse weather. Uh, sailors didn't like it. And so they would stay in here and cut across here, go over to Ephesus, Turkey, whatever. And, and they would save time and also avoid this bad weather. And so it was located in this very neat, neat place. Right? We go back to the next, next slide. Also, just outside of Corinth, here, uh, just on this side, was a large uh, rock, uh, rock outcropping. It actually is like 1,500 feet high, uh, called the Acro Corinth, which, which again dominated this whole area. And so it was a natural fortress here at Corinth as well, uh, which kind of guarded the southern part of Greece. It had, as realtors like to tell you, 
location, 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 Corinth had it. I mean, the whole Mediterranean kind of, the north-south in, in Greece com, comes right by it. East-west on the oceans comes right by it. It's got this natural defense system of this, this rock outcropping. And, and on that rock outcropping were uh, several natural springs, so you would never have to worry about water in the fortress. And also, they gave fresh water to the city. It had, if anywhere was blessed with a location, Corinth is it. And so geography has a big bit to do with it because it's always going to be, a, be about uh, shipping and, and production, and, and it's always going to have a good economy because of that. All right, uh, the people, the, the people of, of, of Corinth is interesting because even though it's located, you know, in, in, in Greece, all right, but they eliminated everybody. And so eventually it had a population of zero in the year 44, then the Romans rebuilt it. And so it was kind of a brand new city. And so uh, there are certainly Greeks who came to it, but there was also a lot of retired Roman soldiers. It became a place for Roman soldiers to retire to as they, as they came out of the army. So again, our, our, our table back here, my, my military table back here, these guys would have been, they, matter of fact, some of them may have been there at some point, you know, just you know, hanging out there. And they're, they're retired Roman soldiers, so they have a particular mindset. Uh, the Romans made it, their government and military headquarters for this whole area of Greece, and so they had a, a heavy Roman feel with that. It was also filled with what, what writers at the time would call freedmen, and that's men and women who had, who were jet, who had maybe bought or been, and been set out of slavery. So this is like the financially the lowest class of people around. They were, they were just better than a slave, and they flocked to this city because of all the work available between of commerce and this and that. So there was a great deal of freedmen to it. Uh, because it was on the travel area, there were people from all over the Mediterranean as well. There was a, a large group of people from, from Egypt and from the Far East with their mystery religions. They had all sorts of people. And, it, and because it was such a prosperous city, there was a lot of entrepreneurship. There was a lot of new money. It was an incredibly interesting mix of people. It wasn't just a town that everybody's kind of the same. And so the early church at Corinth was kind of like that. There was such a wide range of people. In, in, in the letter to the 1 Corinthians and in Romans, different places, because Paul wrote Romans from Corinth, he'll mention people with Latin names, he'll mention people with Greek names, he'll mention people with Jewish names. Uh, they had Jewish leaders who'd become Christians, they had slaves who'd become followers of Christ, they had Roman political officials, they had wealthy merchants. They had such a, this church had such a wide, diverse range of people. Let me ask you this. What's great about a church having a diverse, wide range of people in the midst of it? What, what, what's, what's a real positive when a church says that? Yes, sir. Oh, it eliminates groupthink. Okay, now I'm going to have to break that down. So in other words, we all don't think the same, and so which is awesome when we think the same when we're thinking the right thing, but when we're thinking the wrong thing, sometimes you, you can just blindly go down that. But somebody's going to raise their hand and go, why are we doing that? That doesn't make any sense, so it eliminates everybody thinking the same. I like that. Anybody else, what's the positive of being a very diverse church? Yes. Oh, getting theological on us. Yeah, so uh, we might want to start thinking about it now because we're going to spend eternity with a wide range of people. Uh, I had a, a good friend of mine, and this is going to get some of y'all upset, but that's okay. Um, 
uh, a good friend of mine passed away back in the fall, a really great guy, but, but he, he, had, a, he has, had one brother, and his brother, his brother was more politically liberal than, than my friend who had passed away, and, uh, and after the funeral, we had a dinner, uh, the family did, and, and a bunch of people were there, uh, and, and his brother got up, to, several people got up to share, and he says, says boy, you know, I, my, my brother was an awesome man, I loved God, and, and he said, but I think he's going to be surprised when he gets to heaven, and there's a whole lot of liberals there, and stuff, so, and uh, I laughed too, the family didn't, uh, but anyway, uh, um, but I do, I do think we're going to get to heaven and find out we're not the only ones, and, and that'll, that'll, be, that'll be a powerful thought. Yes, sir, Anthony, you moved, Anthony, okay. Oh, uh, you know, at those, I don't know who's in charge. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so we're not all from here. We're from everywhere. And so we can have an influence around the world. And especially in a city like this where people are going all over the world, as the church grows there, it's going to have an impact all over and not just with people just like us. All right, great thought. Yes, Dave. Yeah, yeah, and so, so by being diverse, we're going to be more attractive to a more diverse group of people. We're, we're not going to, you're not going to walk in and go like, well, I don't belong here and stuff. Okay, anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, you're going to have a, not, not only diverse think, but we're also may, we're more likely to have a diverse skill set and stuff, a diverse uh, interest, diverse, uh, just we're going to be broader and, and not be so narrow focused. Anybody else? Okay, I thought so. I hand over. Uh, yeah, yeah. Did you say the food and the culture? Yeah, yeah, the food, culture, our worship, everything everything's going to have a, a, a broader breadth to it because we're not all the same. Okay, uh, yes? Yeah, well, and, and, and the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians will talk about that. And, and he's saying, listen, we're not all the same, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. All right, that being said, that was good. That was good. Yes, Sam? Yeah, so you have more examples of how the gospel will be worked out in different people, in different cultures, in different times, in different ways, and, and we'll see that, we'll see that. All right, so that being said, good answers. What is challenging about a church being made up of a diverse group of people? We talked about all the advantages, but what's the challenges when, it, when a group is all, is, so, so, so John says, you don't have groupthink, so now we have a scattered think, and sometimes it's harder to do things quickly, maybe because we have so many different perspectives. Okay, All right, uh, what's the challenge in it? Yes, sir, in the back. Yeah, so because you come from totally different backgrounds and, and, and belief systems and cultural understandings, you just, like, why, why would you do that? That seems crazy and stuff. So there's, there just becomes, it, it becomes harder to, to maybe bring about, you know, everybody getting, everybody agreeing on something, okay? Yeah, Paul. Yeah, who's going to lead who? Who's going to lead who? Because, and you were going to see that in, that in Corinth, in the Corinthian church, they had a hard time deciding who was going to lead who and who was in charge. Because, hey, it's, gosh, it's so ingrained in us that we want to have our guy, whatever our guy is, in charge, or our gal, or whatever, we want the person like me to be in charge. And in a diverse group, 
that's, 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 hard, that's hard to do. That's hard to do. Anybody else? Kind of like the United States. Absolutely. And, it, and, it's, and it's not comfortable for a lot of people in a lot of ways. Okay. Anthony. Yeah, so there, there Anthony goes. He has, to, he has to go and do it and stuff. So not the wrong music, Anthony, the music that isn't what I want, meaning the wrong music. I got you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so with a diverse group, it's hard to keep everybody happy because, because we have this broad of culture and food. Well, why did we eat this food? We didn't get the food that I like. Yeah, and so, yeah, Eric? Yeah, yeah, Eric, thanks. You weren't even here when we taught in the round, but thank you. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know, change is hard in any group. Change is really hard in a group that doesn't all think the same. And so, so it becomes very challenging. It becomes very challenging. Yeah, Todd, if you got prejudice and racism and a little cultural uh, identity thing going on, it's going to be messy all the time. And so... Uh, you know, it's, it becomes a built-in challenge. It comes, and and so, so here's the deal, guys. The church at Corinth was very diverse, and that is awesome, and that is really, really hard. And, and that's the reality and that, that, that Paul's going to speak into a bunch. And i got to tell you, uh, well, again, it's been often said that, that the most segregated place in America is, the, is uh, the most segregated time in America is Sunday morning. You know, and so and because we tend to group around people like us. And so, uh, and yet, the Apostle Paul will say here that in Christ we have neither slave nor free, male or female, Jew nor Greek. What he's saying is we, we, we sh- are and should be and want to move towards being very diverse. But I got to say to you, if we're honest, diversity is hard. It has its, it has its, it has its great opportunities and strengths. It also has its challenges, and that's definitely a challenge in Corinth, and we'll see it played out over and over. So keep that in mind, because many of the things that Paul will address has to do with trying to bring very diverse people together. All right, uh, all right, good discussion. Let's let's keep going here. So uh, so that was so we've talked about uh, its history, we've talked about its its location, its geography, we've talked about the the people who make it up, which is from all over the world. A really, really neat, diverse city, and then also the church. And then, then I want to talk a little bit about uh, just, you know, your kind of civic identity or, or city identity. So here, here, real quick, uh, uh, nickname test for you. All right, so just say out the answer. I'm going to give you the nickname. You tell me what the city is. The Big Apple. All right, good. good. The Windy City. Mile High City. Now, see, each of these are describing something about the city even though Big Apple's kind of confusing. Uh, it's, I think they give an apple to a horse that won the race and somehow it became New York. I don't know, but anyway. The Big Easy. Okay, you were not quite as, quite as quick on that. Motor City. Okay, here's, here's one a little bit more difficult. Emerald City. It's uh, Seattle. Yeah, it, it is Seattle. It is Seattle. All right, cities in Kentucky nicknames. Here we go. Come on. Vet City, Bowling Green, Bowling Green, the Corvette uh, manufacturing, the bourbon capital of the world, 
Bart's down, very good, all right. The horse capital of the world. The quarter horse capital of the world. Simpsonville, I, I thought somebody was going to say it. Then Lexington said it's the horse capital of the world. This one, this one, this, I wish I had me a Reese's Cup to give out on this one. Here we go. The houseboat capital of the world. Monticello calls itself the houseboat capital of the world because they built a lot of houseboats for Lake Cumberland. Yeah, yeah. So you can say you learned something today. All right. What's, uh, so we live here in Louisville, Kentucky, or around it. Uh, what's Louisville's nicknames? All right, Derby City's a classic. River City. Was that? Murder City, thank you. Okay, I, I don't think we're quite there yet, but yes, I appreciate that. Okay. Wow, well, okay, we, we laughed at that. Okay, that's a little odd. Okay. The Ville, uh, that, that's kind of the new one, all right? Which, which I, what's that? Used to be Gateway to the South. Do we, do, do we lose our gateway? No, that's where Butchel got the gateway to the south end. I got you. That's, that's, I used to tell you all about Butchel, all right? Um, Falls City, thank you very much. John, John has always got the old, the old man game going, all right? Uh, uh, all right, uh, and so those names, you know, Derby City, we have the Kentucky Derby. Falls City, we have the Falls of the Ohio, which, again, doesn't really affect much of us, but 100 years ago, that was a big deal. Uh, we've got... Um, the Ville, which is kind of taking a part of our name, uh, and so so they all have something to do with they're you know part of your identity and stuff. Uh, so let me say this: Let's, what is if you were and some of y'all can help us with this if you're not from here because sometimes it's hard when you've been here your whole life. But what is Louisville known for outside of Louisville? When, when somewhere other than other than being right here, but what, how does the world view, you know, because we're talking about Corinth, but, but so, so the, the Kentucky Derby jumps out at people, I think, I think that's the one time, I mean, it's like the Rose Bowl Parade in Pasadena, one time a year, so the first Saturday in May, uh, you know, it's, it's Louisville's day, so the Derby, the Derby is a big thing that people say, this is the Derby City, what, what else is Louisville known for? But, oh, stop at one-time basketball. Gosh, man, that's, that's spiteful. All right, Chris, was that Louisville Slugger? Again, that, that, that name just gets carried, carried around, and, uh, and, uh, and the Slugger Museum. All right, Muhammad Ali, I mean, I think that's the Louisville Lip and all that sort of stuff. I mean, so that, it gets certainly in the past more than now, but still, yes. Uh, what else? Fr Kentucky Fried Chicken. I got to tell you, when you go worldwide, I mean, if, if you, especially outside the U.S., when you say the word Kentucky, people think of chicken. Yeah, that stuff. All right. Uh, yes, sir. Hillbillies, because we're the biggest city in Kentucky, I guess. That's what everybody from Cleveland calls us. Well, Cleveland, what do they have to say? I don't know about that. But anyway, all right. All right yeah, 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 anybody else? Yes, sir. Disco balls for the whole world. Don's sick in his head like he knows that to be true. I, 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 all right, so we're the disco ball capital of the world. I think that's kind of niche, okay, but okay, all right, okay. All right. All right, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. I mean, basketball, the, the different things. So I tell you, one thing things we're known for is that our name is funny, and we say it funny. I, we was, I was out in the Emerald City, Seattle, actually outside on an island in a little bookstore, 
And the lady asked me where it's from. I said, Louisville. She goes, oh, Louisville, Louisville, Louisville. You know, she went through all of them all and stuff and stuff. And so let me ask you this. So when you're from a city and the city's known for something, how does that impact its citizens? And this, that's, this is a very kind of vague a city's reputation, how does it impact its citizens? Uh, it, how does it impact how we live and stuff? Okay, okay, it can definitely give you a sense of pride. I mean, if your city's doing well, the, the, the population feels well about it. Now, i got to say to you, again, you know, I've lived here 30 years, and, uh, and through the years I've read some, and one of the things that's happened is, Indianapolis, Louisville, Nashville, we're up and down I-65, and there's been a lot of words written on how these three cities have grown in different rates in different ways. And, and, and sometimes in those articles, uh, you'll hear people from Louisville saying, yeah, you know, we kind of missed the boat, that those other two cities have grown past us. Or this. And so then you have a sense of not pride, but a, maybe a little sense of we missed out or something. Now, I don't know that that's what, how you feel or whatever, but I, that's just this was one of those things. That, that how people view your city impacts many times how we view ourselves and stuff. But, but on Derby Day, we're proud of Louisville. And, boy, we love it when there's nice weather because then it looks like we live in a beautiful place. I, I lived in Pasadena for a couple years and to go to seminary, and i got to tell you, every January 1st, it's a beautiful day in Pasadena. I mean, it might be miserable the rest of the time, but it looks great on New Year's Day and people are like, wow, it'd be great to live there. How else does a reputation of a city impact its people? Yeah, Corky. Yeah, sure we do. We've been paying people at UK for years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay, nobody mentioned UPS as well. Uh, yeah, we're the, we're the boxes get everywhere from here. Right, so, but but how, how do those things impact how we view ourselves? Yes, sir. Oh, you can also become guilty by association. You know, that, that oh, gosh, a bunch of hillbillies, our friend back here said, have people from Cleveland call us and stuff. And, there's, there's the, and so you can, a city can definitely get a negative reputation, right? I mean, uh, you know, I, like Baltimore's nickname is something like Charm City. Yeah, y'all are shaking your head. No, because, I mean, again, but see, they created that nickname themselves because they wanted a better reputation because their reputation had gotten negative. And what's that? Philadelphia, the, brother of, yeah, the city of brother love. They only got that name because of their name. I, I agree with that, and I'm, I have relatives from there. Okay. I, I, I Stop it. Dave Heffer, you're scaring me to death saying, go ahead and speak, but go ahead. Okay, so, so Dave Heffer pointed out that he's not from here, and he said it, it seems odd to him that it's more important where you went to high school than where you went to college. And that's because a lot of us didn't go to college, Dave. So, uh, but let's, let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, all right, so I, I, I just want to say, I just want to throw it out there that a city's reputation impacts how the people feel about themselves. So here's what I'm going to throw out to you. What was Corinth known for? Because I think it matters. Now, again, we're, we're done with Louisville, guys. Okay, so, 
But now we're going to talk about Corinth a little bit. What was Corinth known for? So, so number one, we've already talked about this. It was a Roman city in the middle of Greece, and it had Roman power and Roman political issues. And so it was a, and so I got to tell you, uh, while, while you may, while other people in Greece may kind of look down on you because you're a Roman city, but you know that you're on the right side of history when you're with the Romans, okay? And, and so, so there was a certain, it, had, it was very much a Roman city. Uh, it had shipping and manufacturing. It was a booming economy. It was a place that, that was happening. And so, so if you're living here, here, here in Corinth, I mean, it's, I mean, this is, the world is coming through here. Economy is booming. It, it, it is a growing city. It, 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 there's a lot of energy, and it has that. Here's a really interesting thing. We talk about the Derby with Louisville. What did Corinth have in a similar way? Anybody? There's your chance to show off. Luke? Corinthian leather. Thank you very much, but that's not the answer. But, but thank you. Okay, okay. Yeah, yes, yes. Oh, no, okay, we'll, we'll get to that later. This, this, is, this is a sporting event. They had the Isthmian Games. We have Isthmus of Corinth. They had the Isthmian Games, which was second only to the Olympic Games, which, of course, are still going on. But the Olympic Games had been hundreds of years before, back in the time of Greece. The Olympic Games, were even then, were every four years. But every two years, they would, the Corinth would host the Isthmian Games, and again, it, it was these Olympic sports of wrestling and running and chariot races and boxing and all this sort of stuff, and they were wildly popular. Uh, matter of fact, I mean, the, the Greek city-states would stop a war because the Olympics were coming up, and then they would go back to the war. And, uh, but I mean, and, and this was so people would come from all over the world to be in these events. They, they, they later, during this time, w- would allow the Romans to be a part of it as well, uh, it was, uh, you know, a huge cult. It was like the Derby. The world would come here every two years to Corinth. Many people believe that one of the reasons that Paul was able to be such a successful tent maker is because they needed a lot of tents in this area because these people coming every two years to, to go to these games. So they were, it was known as a sporting capital as well. And there was one negative reputation because hundreds of years before, back like three or 400 years before Christ, uh, Corinth, the name Corinth became kind of a slang for someone with very loose sexual standards. They would say, don't be, don't be the Corinthian. And so it also had a kind of a little bit of a negative connotation that carried over. Sometimes it's hard to get rid of a nickname. But that, that's what Corinth was known for, being a powerful place, being a very successful place. This, this place where the, 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 the Olympic sports were played, and it has an old, old nickname that was kind of, well, that was, well, depending on your perspective, was either negative or exciting and stuff. So that's what Corinth was known for. And so you can think about, well, how would that impact how people viewed themselves? One, it's a place of opportunity for sure. Nobody, there was no, oh, my family's been here for 500 years. There was none of that because it was a new city. Uh, there was a lot going on there. All right. So why was this letter even written? What, 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 what happened? So again, a little bit of history real quick. We'll, we'll go through this and we'll get here towards the end of our class here. So the Apostle Paul arrived in Corinth. Remember, he was on his second missionary journey. He, would, he had already been up in the northern part of Greece and he had gone to several cities there. It had gone okay, not great. You know, typical Paul stuff. He gets arrested, ends up in prison. God releases him. He gets beaten up in the next town. He moves to the next town. He gets to Athens, and he has the famous speech 
to the great thinkers there, but they kind of laughed him out of town a little bit. Uh, he ends up then going over to Corinth, and when he gets to Corinth, again, this booming city with people from all over the world, as some of y'all had mentioned, and he goes, this would be a good place to have a church. And so he stays there, and he stays there probably close to two years, which is longer than he stayed in most places. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18. And, and so he stays there. He develops this church. And then when he leaves to go on to new cities, a few problems happened in the church. And we see this all the time. When you start an organization and you're the, 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 you're the leader of it, and then when you leave, that organization is going to have to figure out some stuff after you leave, right? There's no clear leader maybe behind, even though I'm sure he, he tried to leave some leaders behind. And so a couple things happened. So when he left, that diversity became uncertainty. We've talked about that. Diversity is great until you can't make it. And that, that diversity led to some uncertainty about things because different people saw the different ways to do things. This was a big one. When he left, over time, and listen to this, guys, because this impacts us today, people were more shaped by their culture than they were by their faith in God. The Corinthians, what, what, what Paul's going to deal with is many people had been discipled by their culture more than they had been discipled by God. Uh, and, and that happens today, gentlemen. It happens that, and I, I, you know, again, I think some of, some of us in this room are discipled by cable news networks more than we are by Jesus Christ. We're discipled more by our family background than we are by Jesus Christ. We're discipled more by, well, you can fill in the blank. And stuff, and so, so, so the people, it, when Paul left, and that strong sense of leadership left, people's cultures, their 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 background, their culture, their belief systems, they found out they were more shaped by, by by their culture than they were by their faith in God, and then they they ended up having a lot of divisions. They started picking sides, and we're going to talk a lot about that over the next couple months, and, and how that happens, and why it happens, and so all that's happening. All that's happening within a couple years. And so then Paul hears about it. And so here's a couple of things. One, one here in, in 1 Corinthians, at the very beginning, we'll talk about this next week, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, it's classic introduction stuff. You got all that. He does this in all of his letters. But in, uh, uh, we'll just start in verse 10 of chapter 1. He says, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all you agree with one another so there may, there may be no divisions among you that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. So he's already talking about the problem. And you all aren't together. You're, you're divided. And I just, I'm appealing to your brothers that you would, you would get along, you would agree with each other. And here in verse 11 he says, My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. So in other words, Chloe's household, we don't know. Chloe seemed to be a member of the church, probably a, a lady who's a merchant. We assume it's, an, a, it's a feminine name. He says, Some people from her house have told me about it. So again, if she's a merchant, Paul now... Here, uh, Paul, go back a couple maps. Go back a couple maps. Paul, Paul has left Corinth and has gone, gone back over here to Ephesus. And so this, this is the major shipping, trading uh, region right here. It goes from Rome to Corinth to Ephesus, goes back and forth. So he's had some people come to him who's in the church say, boy, Paul, <laughs> there's some things have happened since you left. Let me ask you just real quickly, raise your hand on this one. Have you ever gone to a former pastor and talked about the church that you're still in and they've left? Just, just, just raise your hand if you have. Don't tell me I'm the only person who's ever done this. I mean, yeah, we, many of us have done I mean, you see the pastor, hey, boy, Fred, you, 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 know, you ought to know about what's going on or this or that. 
you know, my, my family is in the church I grew up in. We've been a part of the church from day one at, at this church, 65 years. And my mom will keep up former pastors up on what's, what's happening at the church. It's not necessarily always bad, but you talk to former leaders, and that's what's happened. These people come to Paul, and they say, wow, you know, some things are happening back at, back at the church. And that would, that would burden Paul. But then also, uh, within this as well, we, we have a, a very interesting, if you, if you skip forward here in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 7, he begins by saying, in chapter 7, verse 1, he says, now for the matters you wrote about. So he talks about them writing him a letter. And then if you, you go to chapter 8, verse 1, he says, now about food sacrifice idols. That's like another thing that they've brought up. And then if you go to chapter 12, verse 1, he says, now about spiritual gifts, brothers. So he brings up several subjects that somebody in the church, and it looks like it's the church leadership, have sent him a letter saying, we've got some, we've got some things we need you to help us with. So he's, he's, got, he's got eyewitness accounts, people who've come to him and said, hey, we've got some challenges. And then he got an official letter from them saying, hey, can you, can, you, can you be the arbitrator on some difficult subjects? And so Paul knows that there's challenges going on in the church. And so then he writes them this lengthy letter that we call 1 Corinthians. Actually, it's probably the second letter he had sent. He'd sent them one earlier and then he'll send them another one, and actually, he probably in total sent them four letters, two of them we have here in the New Testament. So here's my question for you. What's the value for us, a couple hundred guys living in the Ville in 2024, to study a letter written to a very different group of people 2,000 years ago? What's the, what's the value and us doing that. And it's fair to say, hey, I'm just here for the coffee and donuts. That's good. But what, what's the value to us to study something that wasn't written to us, but it was written to a group of people very different from us 2,000 years ago? Paul. Hmm. So, so, so Paul has heard that, that in Louisville today, there's 140 different, 140 ethnicities. Again, that's an estimate uh, people from all over the world, and so maybe we're more like Corinth than we think, okay? Marvin? Yeah, so Marvin, the classic answer, and I, and I love it, is one of the reasons we study history is not to make the same mistakes that were made in the past. Uh, it's, it's the fool who says, I don't need to learn from the past. And so uh, uh, Marvin, who, who was there soon after this was written, I mean, you know, he gets it and stuff, uh, but there is value in learning from the past. I, I got that. Yes, sir. <laughs> you know, it's, two, it's, it's 2,000 years ago, halfway around the world, but you know what? Dudes are dudes, and, and gals are gals, and sin is sin. Uh, I, I, I'm, you know, it's amazing to me that whatever you think about the story of Adam and Eve, I can relate. I mean, uh, there, human nature hasn't changed that much in thousands of years, and so we can definitely learn, because while they're well, the specifics may look a little different. They don't look that much different than, than what we deal with on an everyday basis. Great answer. Paul. Yeah, so what they're dealing with is where the culture is. So Paul put it that way, is not the, the guy Paul, not the apostle Paul. Yeah, yeah. So says, so the challenge is for us, because the apostle Paul spent his life trying to impact culture but many times what he's struggling with is that culture wouldn't impact the church. And, and so who's discipling who? And that is something that is very true still today. 
And are we going to impact our culture, or is our culture going to impact us? And that's, uh, and it does. So the question is, how how do we work around that? Yes, sir, all the way in the back. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's Steve. I couldn't see with the hat on. uh, That's a pretty good answer from a volunteer. I appreciate that, brother. So so the thing is, even though it's 2,000 years later, we're still dealing with the same, not only our human nature, we're still dealing with the same opponent. Satan, the good thing about Satan is he doesn't change up his playbook very much. And, uh, and he is who he is. He's the father of lies. And the lies change a little bit, but we can still see it. So we're dealing with the same opponent that the, the same challenges that the Corinthian church was struggling with, the church in Louisville struggles with today. So we have the same opponent. Great answer, great answer. Anybody else? All right, guys, I agree with all that, and I think, and more, and I think as we go through this, even though, so here's the challenge, because on one hand, I want us to realize that the Corinthian context is really, really important to understand what's happening, but on the other hand, we can't talk about it so much that we forget that it's also being written to us. Actually, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 says this, Paul, called an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, we're going to talk about him later, uh, to the church of God in Corinth. So he says, I'm writing this to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. You know, that's, that's, that's the church in Corinth. And then he puts this line, which, which he doesn't have in any of the other letters. He goes, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Uh, that includes Gary. That includes Sam, that includes Mike, and that includes me. I mean, he says right there, he said, man, I'm writing this to the church in Corinth. Oh, yeah, and together with all those everywhere who call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, I, it's written to you as well. Now, the context is a little different, but the context is still, it's still human nature. It's still sin. It's still, uh, actually, it's not that maybe as much different from us as, as we might think. All right, final thought, guys. Uh, we talked last week about Paul, the Apostle Paul. We talked this week about Corinth. And we talked about what a city is known for. And uh, I would challenge you to get, you know, go from down even more, more, more close to you and say, what are you known for? Or what would you like to be known for? Sometimes, some of you just got stuck with a name as a little kid and it stuck with you. But one of, the, one of the things that I appreciate about the United States is for the most part, you get to determine a lot of who you are and how you treat people and, and what you're known for. And again, some of us are on the back half, quarter, tenth of our life, but you still, you still can shape what you're known for. Just like the city of Corinth can shape what they're known for. And, and the city of Louisville can work hard to, 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 and the city of Baltimore becomes a city of charm. At least they're trying to change what they're known for. And so for you and me, I just encourage you to think about this. What are you known for? What, what, what are the people around you, really close, or people you just meet, how do they receive you? What are you known for? Who are you? And how do you present yourself? And I'll tell you right now, a big part of that is back to what we're talking about. Is the culture shaping you, or are you impacting your culture? 
And a lot of that has to do with the choices that we make. Oh, yeah. And the prayer and guidance we get from God, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, who we hang out with, what do we have a vision for life? Can you live in that way? All right, guys, uh, before I pray, uh, final thing, our last slide, our questions for the day. If you're a group or if you're not a group and you just want to think about this, Number one is, what do you believe are the, to be the major causes for divisions within church? Don't spend way too much time on this one, but just in, in today in our churches, what, what are some of the problems that cause divisions? Second, this is the big question. What is something that carries over from your culture which competes with your practice of Christianity? This is, just a, this is a great question to ask yourself. What is something from this culture that carries over into your practice of Christianity? Be honest with yourself. And then the last one is, what do you hope that you're known for? And when I say hope, I would say, don't just hope. Try to shape it. Try to work with it. Have God empower you to become the person that you desire to be. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you that, uh, that you would bother to have us a 2,000-year-old letter that talks about us in a way. And Lord, I pray that we would open our eyes, that we would be good students, but we would also allow ourselves to be the subject as well, and that you might teach us about ourselves. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for these men who got up this morning and uh, made a choice to come here. I, I pray that, that this day would be filled with a, a, an understanding that they are a man of God stepping into a culture that desperately needs the things of God. And Lord, help us to be men who bring that in small ways and in big ways into, into the Ville, into Derby City, into Falls City, that we would, we would be a positive impact on this town we call home. Lord, all these things are praying in Jesus, Jesus' precious name. Amen. Gentlemen, we'll see you next week. We'll start 1 Corinthians. You can read chapter 1, and that would be a good thing. All right, see you next week.